ABMP, Associated Bodywork Massage Professionals, is proud to sponsor the interdisciplinary podcast from HealWell. Membership with ABMP offers comprehensive liability insurance, along with meaningful resources and support that make a difference in your career, including free CE in the ABMP Education Center, quick reference apps like 5-Minute Muscles and Pocket Pathology, Pocket Suite Scheduling and Booking Software, and the Inspirational Massage and Bodywork Magazine. Discover why members expect more and get more at abmp.com. Hello and welcome to Interdisciplinary Hewell's Healthcare Podcast, where we say the loud parts loud and the quiet parts loud and the medium parts loud. Uh, we're loud, people. Uh, you are listening to our season wrap-up for the season of the switch, where we have been chatting about code switching and we're going to try and bring it all home for you, wrap it all up in a tidy little bow. But first... A pun? Hey, you guys, what's the difference? Uh, what's the opposite of a croissant? Mm. What? Uh, a happy uncle. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> still don't get it. Um, is it better if I say a croissant? Ah, uh, okay. <laughs> okay, here it goes. There it goes. That's, I got it. So there are some puns that need to be written down. Mm. I think this is one of those writing. I think it ones. might be. It might yeah. be a writing one. Yeah, but but it was so much fun to watch Corey's face while she worked through that. <laughs> uh, did not did not in fact make it through that. Well, <laughs> and it was a hard one to deliver because being from New Jersey, I my mother's sister is my aunt. So, you know, I had to really be like, it's croissant, it's croissant, it's croissant. I think not in this case. I think in this case, it's a croissant. <laughs> so, hey, you guys. How's it going? I, I would like our audience to know the immense amount of effort it took to get all of us on the podcast today. So there has been traffic and schedule changes and a lot of coffee for some of us. You guys are very, very important people. It's hard to get important people all in the same room at the same time, even the same Zoom room. Well, I'm just excited that we have the rarely seen and always in our hearts, Laura Brian Erner with us today, which is going to be your official title now, LB. Oh, I like that. (laughs) Yeah. So. What have we learned this season, you guys? We learned that we don't know shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so same as every season. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Fun episode. This has been. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you all for coming. Appreciate well, you. Well, you know, I was, I was thinking, listening to some of our older podcast this this season today in the car and i was thinking it always comes back to healwell's motto it depends it depends on the the situation it depends on the context it depends on the 
the culture. It depends on how you're feeling. It depends on your, your feeling of safety. It depends on definition of certain words. And I'm sure I'm forgetting something. It just depends. What, uh, what was your favorite takeaway, your favorite bit, your favorite moment, your favorite guest? You know, I was thinking about that um, on the the way to slide my butt into the podcast studio. <laughs> um, and of course, you know, I'm going to have to say Harry Pickens because he's also my favorite person. But, <laughs> but we don't have favorites. I love you all the same. Um, I, I would have to say that after that, the the first episode of the season, or I think the first or second episode, the one that Corey and I did with Gabby, um, or that Gabby did with Corey and I, uh, was really, really thoughtful, very good. And it was also a great wake-up call for me to identify um, ways that I think about things or want to react to things that are really problematic and don't take into account someone's full experience. So that was, you know, it's, it's not a heel well joint until you feel uncomfortable. And I felt pretty uncomfortable when I was editing that episode and in the way that means that I'm learning. Um, so that was awesome. And, you know, sticking with the being uncomfortable, <laughs> our, um, very special heel well after school special, um, was, I mean, the guests were amazing and, and we learned so much and, and um, got so much. But I think any time that we can learn in public and demonstrate in public what it is, like all the things that we tell people are necessary in order to be a fully human, to be fully alive, to be fully invested in the service that you are providing. Um, I don't think we get very many opportunities to walk our talk like that um, in a way that's really pretty raw. Um, I just remember I was sitting in the closet <laughs> recording that episode and it was, it was rough, but I think we did a good job. Yeah, I agree. I feel like this is one of those seasons where I learned as much about the people I'm close to and work with every day as I learned about strangers, guests, new people that I had never met before in good and uncomfortable ways. What about you, Cal Cates? What was your favorite moment, takeaway, guest? From well, the season? I, I just want to first call out that good and uncomfortable can coexist. Um but that's just me as a person who enjoys discomfort. Um, <clears throat> I, I was just thinking this morning about how, uh, <laughs> the, the word that came to my mind was how long the season was or felt. Um, and, and I just, I think it's just like the number of lived experiences that we tried to explore and the different ways that we looked at um, this issue and sort of, you know, in a similar way, this conversation that we've been having about like, you know, does, does social justice belong here or there or whatever, that as we would talk about code switching, our guests would sort of quote, go away from it 
but they weren't really going away from it, you know, and that when you really consider the actual ubiquity of code switching, it's like, oh, yeah, like there aren't many places that aren't touched by it uh, in the same way that we see with all the isms and othering that happens. So I think that's what struck me the most is just the places I didn't even think about it existing that sort of don't get a lot of press. Um, I really enjoyed Chase Anderson talking about how not code switching can immensely benefit the people around you, particularly people who are struggling. So the idea of planting your feet and being completely yourself and how that can pull other people into being themselves. And that's something I've been <laughs> regularly thinking about for about a month now, actually. Um, and that's been very helpful. I'm still stuck or interested in, curious about, is it just an argument of semantics? Or are we talking about two different things when we talk about code switching and what I would call like masking? Because I feel like we had a lot of conversations and a lot of the guests talked about both of those things. Uh, and I think that in many ways, we see the those used almost interchangeably, but I'm still, I still don't think they are. What do you guys think? Yeah, I've been contemplating something similarly when I was listening to Francis Reed and they were talking about, you know, being them, their authentic selves in a certain context and maybe not quite as authentic, but it was still authentic. And it was going back to my internal question of when I, when I do my chameleon thing, is it really that I'm not being authentic or is this authentic for me in this situation and and I don't have a clear answer I'm I'm still exploring that within myself and, but I find myself aware of it with other people as well when I see people that I know in different situations and I see how they coach switch using that term and well are are they now being more authentic for themselves? I you know it's it is such a a multifaceted internal and external topic. I'm curious to hear what other people think about it. Are are you know has anybody come to a conclusion? I'm, I mean Laura. <laughs> um. <laughs> It depends, right? It's a, I think it depends on what your definition of code switching is. And that's the thing that we've had. I think almost every one of our guests has given their definition um, of code switching. And we've been that there's a like the Venn diagram is connected, but it's not all one circle. And, you know, it's not even like two. I don't think I think we have like a separate circle for each guest. Um, yeah, I was thinking, Carrie, when you said masking versus code switching, the first thing that came into my, my head was that Paul Lawrence Dunbar poem, We Wear the Mask. Um, and I think going into this, 
that informed my definition of code switching is that it was something that was done for safety and it was fundamentally um, a part of um, white supremacy, a part of colonialism, a part of the systems of oppression. Um, and now I'm not so sure. Um, I don't, you know, think we should, you know, all go out and teach each other how to code switch, but <laughs> well, we're already doing it, so yeah, yeah, true. Um, but there's a there's more uncertainty there, and I think that's that's a good thing. Well, and I think there is an important distinction because, like we were just talking about, you know, code switching. I feel like is a is a magnitude of importance sort of different than or like. So my son recently wanted me to take them to this. Um, wizards and witches nerd fest that was like two and a half hours one way away from where we live and it was fine like I when I get to a thing like that I'm like oh this is cool like look at all these people dressed up and they got weird snacks and like whatever I'm all about it but the idea of like five hours of just getting there and getting home and then just how expensive it always is and there's always junk you gotta buy and whatever like but I didn't let on that. I was like, wow, I can think of a million things I'd rather do. Right. Cause I'm playing the long game. Like they want to go and I'm not gonna be like, that sounds dumb and expensive and whatever. Right. Cause I'm investing in the relationship. And if this is a thing that they're going to be into, then they'll have great memories of going to this thing that I will totally ruin. If I'm like, this is stupid. I don't want to do this, you know? And so I don't know that it, I, I don't think that was code switching. I think that was like, because I love you, I'll do this thing that I'm not thrilled about. Is that inauthentic? I don't know. We could probably fight about it for days, but I think it is different than what, what he's exploring in that poem and what so many of our guests talked about, where it really is a matter of discarding or hiding a piece of yourself for survival or for belonging. And um, there's lots of sort of quote, artful lying or whatever you might want to call it. <laughs> but is that exactly code switching? And, and how much of it is necessary? Like, what if we really were just straight up honest all the time? Like, I don't know how many friends I would have, honestly. Um, so where does, it, where does it fall in that overall picture? On an almost side note, um... I know Carrie has watched some of Sandman on Netflix, but there is an episode that is about absolute brutal honesty and it does not end well. <laughs> it's quite poorly. So at least um, some, I don't think I've ever seen a depiction of brutal honesty that went well. And it, that's, since these things are written by humans, that's very interesting that we don't ever see a good end. Why is it brutal? I will say as the person who probably, at least in my household, comes closest to <laughs> what you're describing or, be, or feels very attached to what is a lie and what is not a lie. I, I, I just, I notice that this is, we always, we attach words like brutal to extreme honesty or radical honesty. And I think, you know, Corey, the, the episode of Sandman that you reference, it, what, what they do with it is, I feel like they twist honesty 
though, because they turn honesty into expressing your darkest self and other loathing in a sort of physical way. Um, also, for some reason in that episode, as you often see in fictionalized movies, books, whatever, where brutal honesty gets center stage, everybody just really wants to have sex with somebody who's not their person. That's like the only thing that honesty is actually about. Um, <laughs> and it just seems so incredibly simplistic. And the part about that that really pissed me off was that in the end, you know, the character who comes in and saves it and cleans up the mess of brutal honesty is like what's lacking in brutal honesty is hope. Which I would argue is lame. <laughs> Inaccurate. Um it seems it seems a weird jump for me. But I do feel like that is a that's a common jump. Like you said, Corey, when you see depictions of complete honesty, it's always mean. And I, I do think there's a difference between honest and cruel. Um, and maybe we're not good at it because people are just not good at being not cruel. Not so much a problem with honesty. Well, I wonder if the cruelty also comes from the, like when you are, quote, finally honest, it's because you've been sitting on this crap for so long that it just like comes out however you need to discharge it. And like, I'm thinking about um, Kim Scott's book, Radical Candor. And I remember reading that and thinking, man, like we should have to read this in like second grade because how many of the world's problems would have been averted or would be averted on a daily basis if we were able to, it's all about sort of like, noticing what's happening here and calling out the thing that needs to be called out, the dynamic, the your participation in it, the other person's participation, but in a way that's like direct, but informative. And I feel like when we feel like we've been harmed, we, we the most basic part of us wants to harm the other person, or at least let them know how they've harmed us. And that because we're not in the practice of calling out dynamics in real time, I think we wind up in the situation where I now have to get out of my own suffering that I've been sitting on because I thought it would, I thought this would go away or I thought it would get better or whatever it might be. And yeah, like where's the line between candor and cruelty? I think it's a pretty thick line. Um, I don't think it's hard to like slip from one to the other. <laughs> um, but cruelty, I think, seems easier sometimes. Um, it doesn't involve so much self awareness and self regulation. Well, and as part of the harm, like you said, Cal, because you've been sitting on it and by sitting on it, lying is what I would say you've been doing. And so the the candor when it comes feels brutal, feels aggressive, feels cruel because it's a surprise. Because the person you are interacting with has been set up to believe something else is completely true. And now you're poking a hole in that versus if you start from a place of candor, you know, from the Chase Anderson, my feet are on the ground and this is in fact who I am in a way that is about love and self-expression in, in a way that is rooted in joy. Um, do we get the same results from brutal honesty? 
I might be missing the point, but I'm, I'm thinking about how there was a period of time when, like, it, it took time for Chase to get there, right? And there was, there was a significant period of time where he was saying what needed to be said with a mask for his safety. Like, there is absolutely nothing wrong with that. Um, but it, it took time and maybe a certain level of um, comfort in position to get there. I don't, I, I don't want to speak for Chase because he is perfectly capable of speaking for himself. Um, but I, I wonder if, if you figure that into the mix, the conversation around honesty and um, however we design complete honesty, radical honesty, you know, Honest honesty. Um, <laughs> um, if there's still there still has to be a place for uh, an understanding that this is not a safe world for most of the people who live in it, and the things that we might want to call lying might actually be self-preservation. They might actually be smart in the moment. Um, That's it. I agree with that. I can get behind that kind of lying. I'll let it stand. Well, and I, you know, I feel like it all comes down to noticing. You know, this is happening all the time without our notice. And we can't even notice when it's quote good or bad if we don't even notice that it's happening. So just to introduce that it shows up a lot and then we can start to become curious about when do I do this and how does it feel when I do it? And what do I, what am I gaining? What am I losing? Um, those are questions that I'm definitely asking myself as I wander around the world um, since talking with all these really interesting people who have thought a lot about it. I think my brain is coming at this conversation from a, a cultural standpoint um, and the way that, that cult different cultures shape us and how comfortable we are. Let me back up. How much a culture rewards honesty, complete honesty versus greasing the wheel and not creating friction. Yeah, exactly, Carrie. <laughs> so in case you didn't know, I spent time in Japan. I think we all know that now. And, and you know, the, the, there's a little hand gesture that is, it's about, it symbolizes that, you know, the, the grease that, that makes things flow better in, in a society. And it's very, in Japanese society, that is um, one way of doing that is to not, express everything and certainly not express it in public that's one aspect of it and uh, i'm not a, a, a an expert but that has been it was my experience being in japan and you know I, I i i keep thinking of these different conversations from that aspect of i know that there are different cultures all over the world that place different values 
on expression an authentic expression of oneself and I'm, I'm just always curious how that plays into this conversation of being your authentic self with other people and in different contexts when is it safe to do so and when is it not safe to do I also wonder about how you know it's safe. Um, the month of September is a rough month for me <laughs> as I have bipolar disorder and that's usually when things get weird. Um, for That's just a general thing across the disorder. And part of that is assuming that everybody hates me, um, which is not true. And nothing has really changed since like August to September, right? It's not like, there was any crazy flip in personality for anybody involved, um, just my mood and perception. So how much of what we don't say or hide or lie or mask about is even necessary um, for safety? Or are we just assuming that things are not safe? And if your internal perception is warped for any number of reasons, how do you get past that? or navigate that even to know what's okay. I, I just think that it's interesting that, um, you know, we're, we're all like pondering this, this excellent question that you asked Corey, um, like the four of us, a bunch of, bunch of white folk who, <laughs> who probably don't have to ask that question as much as other folk, or at least I don't, I, I will speak for myself alone. I know I don't have to ask, ask, ask that question uh, because of the, the layers of privilege that I walk in. Um, but I think it's, it's also, it's valuable for us to realize how hard it is to answer that question from lack of practice. And I think I think you're right, Rebecca. And I think it's what what has been banging around in my head since you asked that, Corey. And again, I, I think it is an excellent question. Is especially in our field of massage therapy, but and in health care larger, you know, creating a safe space, like showing that you are a safe person, we, you know, and we've talked all, all season, every episode we've talked about sort of like, how, how do you know, how do you signal that, that you're somebody, this person doesn't have to code switch around. That seems really a huge, a huge leap to me to ask someone to notice that I'm safe <laughs> you know, to, to be able to, to, uh, again, push past all of your previous experience, whatever is happening inside of you chemically <laughs> and, and, and electrically and all of the, the layers and layers of culture that you've spent your life steeped in. I feel like we it is so tempting to imagine that there's a facile answer to if I put the right signs up in my office, if I take the right training, if I put the right questions on my intake form, it, you know, if I wear the right 
jewelry <laughs> or lack thereof that I will signal that this other person can just strip all the masks away and stand in their authentic self in my presence. And I, I think your question really reminds me, Corey, that like, that's a huge ask of anybody. Well, yeah. And that it, it, what you're saying, Carrie, reminds me of, I, I don't know that you all have heard this, those of you who weren't there when we recorded it, as we were recording this, this episode now with the five of us, I have just put up part two of Francis Reed's episode where they talked about, um, you know, we don't want to be tolerated. We want to be affirmed, I think was the, the, the one of the many things that was like, oh, put, put that, write that on the sky. Um, <laughs> that, you know, you can, you can have the, <laughs> okay, so my ex-husband worked in arts marketing for classical music. Um, and was constantly looking for crowd photographs that had not white people in them so that they could signal that you can come to the orchestra if you're a brown person and you'll be welcome. And I'm just like, is that what we're doing? Like, if that's what we're doing in our practices or, you know, we put a rainbow flag up on the wall or we um, have unicorn somewhere or whatever, um, performative signaling that we're doing. It's not the same as really taking the time. And um, Cal, I'll trust you to tell me if this is a not a fair paraphrase of what Francis said, but of really taking the time to educate yourself and to learn um, about the needs and experiences of the people you are trying to serve um, and to be humble in that that, you know, it's, it's, it's not that you are coming to, I have this to offer you people. It's that um, you, your being in the world has so much to offer me and I need to learn about it. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, I think that's it. And I feel like the, the struggle that I have, like I'm on the advisory board of an organization that has a lot of providers and we were just before I got on this call talking about how to sort of update their listing to demonstrate to they really want to create a better space of belonging for people from the LGBTIQ plus community. And I said, well, and they said, so we have some people from the queer community who have said, like, I want it to be clear that I'm like, you know, queer friendly and whatever. And we got into this conversation about that, you know when when are we policing and when are we performing and how do we like you know we know from teaching oncology massage that there are lots of people who come to oncology massage because they had cancer themselves and there's sort of this assumption that you qualify in these weird air bunnies to be in this space because you had cancer and that in some ways it actually makes you less qualified because there's a decent chance that you'll make it about your cancer um, depending on how much of your own healing and integration of that experience you've done. And I, I think I certainly don't want to say to a queer provider, like, don't say you're queer friendly because, you know, just you being queer doesn't mean you're queer friendly, but also um, what kind of training do we provide to people to say, like, these people have at least been taught sort of the basics. And I was saying to the folks in this meeting that even as a queer person, 
I am learning about queer language and queer culture all the time and I'm in here, right? So, you know, what kind of assumptions can be made and, and what is our understanding of, we love to be outraged, right? So if I feel like my qualification is like, I can't believe that other providers don't love gay people. I love gay people, even though I'm a cisgendered, straight, white person, whatever. So I want to put a rainbow flag on my site and then a queer person comes in and my questions are uninformed and my, you know, my whole approach is off. And so how do we introduce the level of self-awareness that is really what we're talking about here? That like, I will never be able to meet a person of color in, in the same place in some ways as another person of color. Um, you know, one of the black women on this call, I said, you know, like when you make eye contact with another black person, like in a room full of white people, there's a thing that happens where you're like, there's shit we know that nobody else could possibly know in this room. Right. And that when I see other gay people, like on the street or people that present as gay, right. Like there's a huge assumption, even in that, um, we make eye contact in this way. That's like, what's up? Like we shared things and how do we have it's not necessary to have the same lived experience to create a space of belonging. And what does this training look like? You know, it's not a bulleted list of this is what gays like, this is what Jews like. It's, you know, it is this conversation we're always having about cultural safety. And it's just a lot harder, I think, than people want it to be, or even think it is. I, that was exactly where my brain was living was, how this all ties into cultural safety and how when we're we're talking about it in a class it's a we can't give you all the bullet points because we ourselves don't know all of the bullet points but what we can say to you is that what you are going to need is a curious humble open mind so that when you see a place that you can improve yourself take it take the opportunity to do the work and then when you are in 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 space with somebody who is different from you you are able to be a loving kind person who is going to do their darndest not to harm and that's all I got to say about that Well, and I feel like, uh, like it depends. One of my favorite Hillbell um, aphorisms that I think fits here is shut the fuck up. Because I think that, <laughs> I think all the time about uh, a conversation I had with another provider who, I love this person's honesty. And this provider was talking about how they lived in a place that was kind of rural and um pretty outwardly bigoted in lots of ways. And they really wanted to signal that they were a safe provider and friendly to people who generally were probably not feeling like they were getting good, safe care in this community. And the result was their enthusiasm was just like creepy to the people who showed up in their office. <laughs> <laughs> that they their their efforts to let you know you could be yourself with me was like, whoa, I just came in for this intervention and I poof, that's a there's a lot 
going on here? And I think it's worth remembering again, as we talk about this, that we, you are asking so much to ask someone not to code switch. And so it's a great place to notice if that's in fact what you're doing. And if you just shut up <laughs> um, and, and, uh, and allow and make space for that person to do what they're going to do. Um, I feel like certainly as a patient, I feel more comfortable with those kind of providers than I do with the ones who want me to know how savvy they are about people like me um, or how like me they are. Um, I don't particularly care for that. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so once again, I think it's a great place to shh. But in listening to the episode uh, with um, Matthew Hudson, Hudson, I, Cal and I did not do that interview with you guys. So we were listening after the fact of the episode and we both noticed that we were worried that people wouldn't know that he was black because he didn't sound black. And we were worried that nobody who was interviewing him made sure to point out, <laughs> made sure to say, as a black man, is this your experience? Blah, blah, blah. And I just noticed, again, I felt like, just going back to what we were talking about a minute ago, I noticed in myself this like overreaching, right? This over worry to like, Make sure everybody knows what we know. Um, and- <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I I might cut this, but I, it this this makes me think of okay. Um, oh God, I'm so old. There used to be a, a sitcom called Kate and Alley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And one of them got trapped in an elevator with this man, and all the lights were off, and they couldn't see each other, and they made a date, and well, the lights were off and the lights turned up back on and the man is a black man. And, you know, it goes through and it ends up not working out and they're having this really honest conversation at the end. And she says, yeah, I don't know. I just wasn't ready for, and he says, for me to be the same color with, as the, with the lights on as I was with the lights off. Um, <laughs> you know, late 80s. Um, yeah. Lord. Yeah. But I was thinking of that while we're doing this and I was like, huh. I... <laughs> And, and I don't know, Corey, if this was your impression, but my impression was Dr. Hudson really didn't want to talk about that. That was my impression. So. Yep. Absolutely. So I, we're not going to. We're not going to. Yeah. I'm not going to push that. That's, that's weird. That is weird. <laughs> um, but why won't you tell us about that? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. Um, and like, and when he's done all of these things, right, that man has three degrees. Like. Yeah that's what he does and lives and breathes and works on. And, you know, why would we not talk about that instead? Um, I also, I also think it's interesting that like sort of what you said about the lights out, but the medium in which things are delivered and how much that changes the information that gets delivered. And all I could think of was um, classic, the Lone Ranger radio show, Hark, I Hear White Horses Coming. Ooh. Right? Are you trying to be the oldest lady in the room? I am not the oldest. That's a, that's a, <laughs> such an old. I am joke. the oldest old lady joke. in the room. 
<laughs> I claim that title. <laughs> but I think that's really like how how do you impart the right information that you mean to impart? And is that the right information to impart? And who are you imparting it to? And why? And what's I mean, even with the Lone Ranger, what's important about them being white? I don't know. <laughs> like other than that they're trying to give you a visual for something that is not visual. So I think that interview and LB, you were there too. So please tell me what you think. The, that interview was a good example of um, like a kind of code switching that we don't think about in action, that, that academic code switching, which we are going to talk about next season um, when we're talking about research and information literacy um, and how that that is something that doesn't, it doesn't transcend other identities, but it becomes so much your identity. Maybe it does. Oh, he's <laughs> giving me um, the I don't know face. I, uh, so not to get a jump on next season, but I'm going to get a little jump on next season. Um, I think getting a PhD is about being taught how to think. So I think there is some transcendence that happens and it has to happen in order to accomplish your goal and accomplishing that goal without losing yourself is now something I think about a lot. So, um, and how, how can you be an academic and how can you move in that space and not become the institution? Because the institution obviously has some serious issues and in all sorts of things from the color of your skin to your vocabulary, to how you think about anything, to you should think about it our way. And that's good up to a point, but then we all think the same and that's bad. So I, I think some of it does take over when you immerse yourself like that in something so encompassing, I guess. Well, and I wonder if it goes back to, again, uh, about safety. If you're going to succeed and excel and even just survive in academia, there are very strong cultural rules about how you will be uh, um, in, in order for that to happen. And it's a, it's a rough culture, man. Well, just because it would be, we would be remiss if we didn't mention um, Jamil, who was talking Jamil Rivers, um, who also came on and um, was just talking about trying to get what seems like in words on paper, the simplest possible thing. There's a standard of care. It should be offered to every human. And her whole, whole organization exists because that is not true. Um, and that, that was, every time I talk to her, it's just sort of blows my mind again, how much work there is to be done around fixing healthcare. <laughs> we keep trying season after season. I know. Here right? we are. And we're, you know. Still hasn't happened. Come yeah. on, healthcare. Right? Are, you not, are you not listening to this podcast? Right? <laughs> we're we're going to nail it by next year. No problem. Are. Are. Next year, this season, time, 2023. Right. It, right. I'm going to I'd just like to point out. I'm you like um, I was going to say that I think one of the interesting things about Jamil, uh, among 10,000 other interesting things, because um, she's fabulous, was that she wasn't 
part of the academia circle and she wasn't part of like deep into healthcare craziness. She was a person on the outside who was like, you know, with an app, we could help this. <laughs> right. Here's an app. It does totally. essentially two things. It hooks you up with another person who has your experience or is having your experience. And it tells you what the standard of care is. And that is the, that's essentially it. And nobody in healthcare, right, got there. No way. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're getting paid no matter what. Well, and I would say, I mean, even the way you described it, Corey, is like so sort of steeped in the story. Like how much more on the inside can you be than having stage four metastatic breast cancer? Right. But why is a person <laughs> yeah. with the cancer considered coming in from the outside? Like that's so messed up. But that's I, exactly like nobody's listening to the people who are actually experiencing it. Right. Yeah. And nobody on the inside is thinking of it that way. Nope. So <clears throat> what happens? Right. <sighs> well, here well again, we've done another season. <laughs> I feel like, you know, we should we should watch the Goonies together and all pick a character and oh. embody that character next <laughs> season, perhaps. Fair, fair. And I am, I'm just thrilled that our, our young millennial friend gets this joke. <laughs> I was laughing because I've only seen it once and that was not until I was probably 30. All I know is <laughs> I will be doing the truffle shuffle. <laughs> yes. <laughs> this oh, episode man. is going to have the most interesting show notes because, Definitely. you know, we'll have to put links for all kinds of things. Here. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> oh yay <laughs> that'll be fun that will be fun um well everyone who is listening and who continues to listen and support us we thank you we would not exist without you we do this because of you um and we would love to hear from you you can email us at podcast at healwell.org that is an actual email read by an actual person in fact this actual person um, <laughs> and I would love to hear what you thought of this season, your ideas for future seasons. Um, and I would love to see pictures of your pets. Just putting that out there. Um, you can also join the Healwell community, community.healwell.org, where we are having continuing this conversation and lots of conversations. There's an excellent thread going on right now about things that we were taught or not taught or failed to be taught in sex mm -hmm. education and who boy um i'm glad we all made it to adulthood <laughs> somehow um, and you can also visit our patreon patreon.com interdisciplinary for weird things um early access to episodes without um you get them ad-free in Patreon if we are fortunate enough to have ads in a season. Um, and final thank you to ABMP for sponsoring this season of Interdisciplinary. We love you and thank you. Um, and thank you very much for listening. We will be back in a couple of weeks with a new season. Thanks, everyone. Interdisciplinary is produced by Heelwell. Our theme music is by Harry Pickens. 
New episodes are available weekly through your favorite podcast outlet. Uh, and you can send us an email at podcast at healwell.org. That's podcast at healwell.org. Thanks for listening.